What is up? Welcome back on this Thursday afternoon uh, to Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, alongside of my co-host, Matt Bushnell. Super Bowl 56 is in the books. The season has come to a close, and we're happy to join you here on this episode 97. Matt, I got not to brag or anything, but it's 56 degrees here today in upstate New York, and uh, it's feeling pretty good. Ooh, 56 degrees. Um, let me tell you, it is 64 here right now. Ooh, baby, yeah, we're close. It, it was chilly the past, you know, yesterday it was really chilly, Randy. I'm not going to lie. I was a little cold. You know, I, I looked at the clock and it was like five o'clock and I saw that it was 60 degrees and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Well, you know, climate change and whatever you want to blame, but, you know, I'm glad you're okay at the end of the day. Really just glad you and the family are safe, you know, not freezing to death or anything, you know, ultimately you're okay. Well, thank you, sir. It is greatly appreciated. You know, I try to make sure that I keep my little toes in a blanket. It's important. You got to do it during the wintertime. Got to do it. Um, well, number 97 episode for the show, Matt Bushnell, we're creeping up to the triple digits here. Um, and, you know, we're continuing with the defensive linemen. I'll just start because I feel like I always give you the floor first. I'm going to go with two active players, two stud, two brothers, Nick and Joey Bosa, both were number 97. It runs into the runs in the family here with both of them. Nick, obviously a stud with the Niners and Joey is very good. Also with the chargers. Who do you got for number 97, Matt? I'm going to go with an Illinois product. I played at the University of Illinois. Drafted, I believe, number three overall or number two overall. I can't remember exactly what order they went in. But Simeon Rice. Super Bowl champ. Oh, yeah. World champ with the Buccaneers. Um, Hell of a football player. I, I, I would say Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, no argument for me. I mean, that, that Bucks team, who I, that I think of, is one of the most dominant defenses of all time for sure. Uh, all right. Well, we already got some people in the comments. You'd love to see that, Matt. And, you know, we got to start the show. We got to talk about our Super Bowl 56 champion, Los Angeles Rams. Congratulations to Sean McVay, Sam uh, of Sam, Matt Stafford. Where the hell am I going? I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Matt Stafford finally gets his ring after all those years. Super Bowl MVP, Cooper Cup. Uh, I mean, unbelievable season from him. Um, let's just kind of go through the game here, Matt. And I know Henry wants us to get to the halftime show. We could touch on that uh, a bit later here uh but number one on the docket is i guess we're going to go through this game with you matt and the rams kind of started hot like i think a lot of us expected them to uh when they jumped out to a 14 to 3 lead uh odell beckham jr gets things going with a touchdown thank you very much i did predict the uh, first touchdown score thanks mm-hmm. to my guy um uh 14 to 3 lead and then it seemed like the Bengals were able to stay in the game a little bit there they had a t higgins touchdown thrown by joe mixon the, the Bengals really had to fight and crawl, in my opinion, to stay in this game, uh, and they caused some breaks to do so early on. Yeah, um, you know, I feel like we're kind of burying the lead here because now, Randy, the last eight teams to win the coin toss have all lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> buried the lead, 100%. This just completely buried it. I mean, I bet money on it. Like I, I told you what I was going to do. I was going to wait until the coin toss to see who was going to win it. Then I was going to bet on that team that lost the coin toss. And sure enough, I bet on the Rams to win the game. You know, so kudos to everyone that follows that trend. And man, what a weird trend it is. To me, I, I go back to this, you know, and, and I'm going to take it from the, the Joker movie with um, 
Joaquin Phoenix. I may have mispronounced his name. Joaquin. Joaquin. Phoenix. Joaquin. Thank you, Randy. That's why you get paid the big bucks on this show. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get what you deserve. And eventually, you know, we praised Jamar Chase draft pick. And, I, and I'm not going to revisit that and say that's a bad pick because absolutely home run pick. But it just goes to show that your biggest weakness is always going to show up on the biggest stage. And boy, was it glaring on this game. Um, Joe Burrow just had no time to throw. Now, some of that does fall on Joe Burrow. You, you have to know, like, okay, this ball needs to leave my hand at this point in time. And if it doesn't, you know what's going to happen. But at the same time, you know, Jamar Chase runs those deep routes, but those deep routes take time to develop. I thought they were going to use Chase more on slants. Um, you know, even quick outs, stuff like that, just to kind of get the pass rush neutralized. And one way to neutralize a pass rush is the screen game. I thought they they had middle screens available to them. They had the outside halfback screens available to them. And they just never utilized it. And whoever their right guard is, he should be cut tomorrow. Uh, just did a completely awful job. And why they left him one-on-one sometimes with Aaron Donald is completely beyond comprehension to me. But I take a look at the Rams offense, and, I, and I'll say this for a couple of things. The T. Higgins touchdown, let me just go back to that real quick. It, it should have been a flag. You know, the officiating the explanation, one. yes. The start and, of the second half where he grabs the face mask. Yeah, was it Boyd or Higgins? I, I think it was Boyd that scored. No, it was Higgins. You're right, it was Higgins. Higgins. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely a face mask. It should have it should have been called immediately. How they missed it, I'll never know. But you, you missed a key face mask on that call that probably would have not made this game as close it was as close as it was. And then you have to feel if Beckham doesn't tear his ACL, you know, early on in this game, the way they were picking up yards, the Rams would have been been able to put up some points, you know, and then it would enable them that pass rush to get going a little bit more. Um, I, I have to give a lot of credit to Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, what they did on offense, just, they moved Cooper Cup, and this is the part that frustrates me the most about the Bengals. You had an entire game plan built around Cooper Cup. You had to have. You cannot go into this game not planning to cover Cooper Cup. And they lost, you know, OBJ, which was a significant loss for that offense. Van Jefferson didn't do much after that. And then you had a bunch of guys that I've never heard of, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce one of their names. But <laughs> to me, how you let him just pick apart when you go from man to zone, I just, I cannot figure it out because that's when Cooper cup started tearing them a new one. I watched the replay of the game. I watched the coaches film and just the spots that they played zone in that let Cooper cup, just sit down. Cooper cups, the best wide receiver against the zone in the NFL. And it is not close. It is such a huge disparity. You play zone against Cooper Cup, you are going to lose 100% of the time. That's all there is to it. This guy has an innate feeling for where he needs to be. And by not bracketing him, taking have man, man on man with help over top is just befuddling to me. They, they didn't do it. I don't get it. Um, one of the many reasons they lost this game. Well, I shouldn't have said 14 to three. Matt Bush knows 13 to three because of the blown extra point by the punter. He blew the hell hold there after yeah. the second touchdown. Regardless, <laughs> the Rams were in total control of this game until, as you mentioned, the Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, injury. And it was non contact. It looked awful from the second that it happened. He went down holding the same knee uh, he had surgery on already. 
And don't make any mistake about it. Beckham already had two catches for 52 yards in this game. Uh, one of them being that first touchdown. And then another one being a 35 yarder where he was wide open. It seemed like to me, he was a huge part of the game plan for the Rams and the Bengals also couldn't stop him. It seemed like to me, they had a ton of attention on cup and the Rams knew that was going to happen and they were ready to let Beckham just do his thing. And it seemed like that wasn't going to be something the Bengals were going to stop. And will honestly, they were more willing to let Odell go off without letting cup go off. I think like they in their their own mindset were probably like yeah cup is the best player on this team let's not let him get his let's get obj let's you know stafford will you know make mistakes anyway as long as he's not you know letting letting cup do his thing the beckham injury totally changed the rams offense they could not run the ball they finished with 23 carries for 43 yards as a team cam Akers was terrible just 13 carries for 21 yards the most important run of the game for the rams happened by cooper cup fourth and two he gets seven yards on a, on a um, jet sweep he made an unbelievable cut on it if he doesn't make that cut he doesn't get that first down and we might be talking about the Bengals uh being super bowl champions who knows um but the, the game plan clearly had number three involved the entire tire time so you hate to see that and then the rams offense just couldn't get much involved until the fourth quarter where you could tell hey we're gonna get the ball to the, our best player we don't care how many people are on him the Bengals clearly were not prepared for them to continue to force the ball to cup uh, he finishes for eight catches for 92 yards to the touchdown and that run, like I said. And then he did have, draw a couple penalties in the end zone at the end, Matt. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because a lot of people are complaining about the officiating towards the end of the game. And now I, I, I prefer them to not call the ticky-tack stuff in a big game like this. And I felt like most of the game they got away from that. Uh, I would say one of the calls on Cup by the linebacker uh, was probably a little – touchy I, I probably wouldn't have called that there that felt like a makeup call to me from a call that happened before that um but the two on cup the helmet to helmet uh, in the back of the end zone to me was pretty obvious and then the eli apple grab uh and i thought it was a smart play by eli apple because he's giving up a touchdown if he doesn't grab him there yeah. um so what did you make of the officiating there in the red zone because to me when you start getting that closer a lot more grabbing goes on down there yeah my issue, and I'll go one by one on these, the uh, the defensive pass interference on the linebacker wasn't pass interference. Um, my, my issue with, you know, we start talking about makeup calls is you, you don't make up calls in the Super Bowl. You know, it, it is what it is. You missed one, you missed one. You, you made a bad call, you made a bad call. You, you don't give it back to the other team in any shape or form. It just, you know, it just compounds that mistake and puts more spotlights on the first mistake when you start trying to, you know, I'll say this baseball gets away with it in the strike zone because there's so many pitches and there's so many things that go on, but in a game like this, everyone's watching it. You know, you're not going to get away with makeup calls in a game like this. And rightfully so it was a bad call. And, you know, a lot of people talked about it. The, The helmet to helmet contact was just so blatant and so bad and so obvious. It's one of those calls you have to make. Um, you know, you can't do that. The the Eli Apple grab, I mean, let's just face it. I mean, Eli Apple was getting cooked all game and he really didn't have much of a shot other than, you know, grabbing and trying to save his own skin there. Um, Smart play, veteran play. You have to give it to him in that regard. But, you know, I just can't go back to, you know, I in the show, I said it kind of tongue in cheek in the pre, you know, our pre-show for the Super Bowl that Eli Apple was going to win the uh, Super Bowl MVP. (laughs) But Randy, he was right there. I mean, that touchdown to Cup. I mean, he turns around or, you know, he does something a little bit different, plays zone, sits down a little bit. It may have been a pick six. We may have been talking to Eli Apple, Super Bowl MVP. But yeah, maybe. 
<laughs> I, I'll say this guarding a guy like cup, th- that route is unguardable. You know, it takes a really special corner to cover that route. And a guy like Eli Apple is just never going to be able to cover it, unfortunately. And that just shines a light on a lot of the issues I had in this game, which is coaching. Um, why yeah. are you putting Eli Apple one-on-one with Cooper Cup in that situation to begin with? Like if it's bracket coverage and you're in zone, that's fine. <laughs> but I think I would have even added a spy to the outside on, on Cup on that route because, I mean, they're trying to exploit it, obviously. You see Apple lined up on Cup there. Um, you, you just you can't put him in that situation. I know Lou Anarumo, who's getting a lot of praise um, for how he you know handled the second half against the Chiefs, and he, I think he deserved it because I don't think the Bengals are the most talented defense ever. They really were not prepared for a lot of the basic things the Rams were doing. So that, that was really disappointing for me and, and not helping Joe Burrow because to me, Joe Mixon was having a really nice day in this game. And then he got banged up. And I think that really killed them towards the end because you had uh, Samaje Ryan late in the game, which he's not the same guy. The bro is getting killed. He got sacked seven times in this game. You have to help him out with screens, quick slants. Like you got to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And to me, they got too cute. They you can't do these elaborate routes with Chase. Let him get deep downfield. Give him the ball in a quicker way and set up a wide receiver screen. For like for the love of God, like I can't put, like imagine going into the game and saying, "Hey, they have Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd. Let's just go one on one against them and let Burrow take five step drops and try to give him seven seconds to throw." It just it doesn't make logical sense to me from a coaching perspective. Yeah, and Joe in the comments brings up a really good point too. That I, you know, when we're talking about the penalties, the offsides that wasn't, you know, Aaron Donald was offsides on that fourth and one, I think, or fourth and two, yeah. uh, pretty obvious stuff. Here's the thing. You talk to a lot of players and a lot of coaches. Usually the refs are going to give you one warning. Like, hey, man, you're offside. Get back over. Now, you know, going back through it, I mean, you'd really have to put a spotlight on Aaron Donald, which isn't hard to do because the guy shows up on tape all the time. But to to see, you know, if this was a consistent issue or if this was his one, like, hey, AD, you know, next time make sure you're over, you know, you're back over. Right. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a little bit harder, but the refs, I'll say this. We saw some really bad officiated games this year and it's still, even in those games with the exception of one game. And I, you know, I already said in the chat, I'm not going to revisit history here, but one game was obviously affected by the referees more so than any other. The, this game, it just kind of felt like the Bengals had chances and it ties into what you're saying here. You know, a wide receiver screen, halfback screen, middle screen. There were so many things that you could have done to slow that pass rush up just by a schematic point, and they just didn't do it. And and, and that's the part that you start leaving what-ifs in your head. Um, I I think I could comfortably say that if they don't draft Jamar Chase, they're not in the spot. If you put Panay Sewell on this roster, they're not in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Um, totally agree. I think that's revisionist history to try to say that uh, Chase just elevated this offense to a whole nother level. And I mean, obviously to your point in, in these big games, your weaknesses get exploited. Um, but Jamar Chase is hundred percent. One of the main reasons why they were even here to begin with. Um, so I'm looking at the rundown here. Some of the talking points um, I, I guess I wanted to mention here. So that one point in the game, the Rams defense just says you're not getting any more points on us. It was after the Stafford had a couple turnovers and we're talking about Stafford in a bit. Um, but this was the point where Donald and the rest of the defense said, 
your line cannot block us. You are well. It, it reminded me of the like, remember the Titans like they will not get another yard. Like <laughs> yeah. they were locked down and they totally dominated. And it really started to to really bring out the MVP debate debate for this game. Where if the Rams were to win, do you give it to Aaron Donald or do you give it to Cooper Cup? And I really thought both of them had strong cases here. And uh, for me. You know, Aaron Donald had the game ceiling play essentially where he got pressure on Burrow and, and forced the incompletion and he had two sacks on top of that. And overall, he is the anchor for this dominant defensive line and really was the biggest mismatch of the game. Whereas Cup, as soon as Beckham goes down, the offensive game plan and the mindset and the whole feel for the Rams changed. Now, his stat sheet isn't the best stat sheet ever, but if he doesn't do what he did in the second half, they had nobody else to make plays. I mean, Von Miller had two sacks in this game. Other defensive players were making plays. Uh, Eric Weddle was making plays in this game. Uh, Jalen Ramsey got beat, but he also had a presence in this game. So to me, just for the lack of support on the offensive side of the ball and the importance that Stafford uh, has with Cup and how much he looks for him, that's why Cup won MVP. But I think the debate certainly was there, and I want to get your your thoughts on that debate. Yeah, I mean, I, I go Aaron Donald as a Super Bowl MVP, and I, the votes take place before the final whistle, which to me is two-minute warning, right? Yeah, which the biggest plays for Aaron Donald really happened in that two minutes. Because you take a look at it, and Henry brought it up um, on that last play where, you know, Burrow throws that incomplete pass. Ram, or Ramsey falls down and Chase is wide open. Yeah. If Donald isn't there yeah. to cause that, Bengals win the Super Bowl, and we're having a totally different discussion yeah. on this. So, like, Cooper Cup w- was really good. But OBJ helped them get to that lead to begin with. OBJ yeah. was instrumental in opening up the offense in the early part of the game. Yeah. And, I, you know, we saw, you know, Cup with Jared Goff, and he wasn't nearly as good with Goff as he is with Stafford. Yeah. And I think wide receiver is such a dependent position on so many things. 100%. So to me, Aaron Donald is the one guy that's not dependent on any other player. And I feel like defensively he put this game on his back and he really, to your point that you said earlier, they were not going to get another yard when it was time to win. Aaron Donald showed up and said, this is over, you know, yeah. but to that point, I go back to it. If you know what you're going to do and you're the Bengals, and, and this is my issue, you know, there's things you can do to help protect your running back, run the football off tackle was there. They, um, you know, and I have to give a big shout out to my guy, Marco Trammell, him and I were talking in a chat, you know, during the game. And like, he was like, we got to start running some misdirection if you're the Bengals here. And I thought they didn't utilize the trap game. You know, there were some things when Mixon got his yards, it was off tackle, it was misdirection, you know, but the, the Bengals just didn't do enough of those things. And if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm concerned for a couple of reasons. One, are they going to prioritize the offensive line? Because we saw Burrow just get annihilated this game. We saw Burrow get annihilated against the Titans. Like, yeah. this is not sustainable for good quarterback play. It's Andrew Luckish. And I know a lot of people brought that up. Yeah. And we said it. The Super Bowl amplified it. It showed you right front and center what this team's from is. And then Zach Taylor. Um, and to, to your point, Randy, we were talking, you know, before the show, pre-show, uh, Zach Taylor may be a problem here as well. Because all this goes through him offensively. Why didn't he call these plays? Why are they not in the playbook? You know you have a bad offensive line. You have to have something in there to protect your offense. Absolutely. 
And, you know, that's why I don't blame officiating for losses. I know bad calls happen, but ultimately I feel how you prepare, how you execute, and the players on the field decide the outcomes of games. No matter how egregious calls, I know you said there's one game in particular, <laughs> the refs totally ruined a game. Um, but for the most part, even the game where they missed the call on the Saints against the Rams a couple of years ago, I still felt the Saints had three chances to win that game after the fact. So I didn't like to blame that call on why they lost. So. Uh, to me, I, I will try to go out of my way to not blame officiating in that aspect. But I mean, the Rams, to your point about Donald, he really elevated like Taylor Rapp was making plays in this game. Ernest Jones, I don't think I ever saw him make a play <laughs> before this game. And he was everywhere. Like he played so well. Eric Weddle looked like he was in his prime all of a sudden. Like they, they had these, had, these guys really did uh, play lights out. And, you know, my prediction of Von Miller winning Super Bowl MVP, I thought I had a small chance. He had two sacks, but uh, hey, he, he played well too. Uh, he was really quick. I thought he let, he's going to get paid, I think, this offseason, even for a vet guy, maybe on a short term deal. But Matt, I do want to talk about the quarterback play. And I'll start with. Um, with Burrow and then make our way to Stafford because, um, you know, the conversation when there's a young team like the Bengals here, every time they make a Super Bowl is, oh, don't worry, they're going to be back. Now, that's a dangerous conversation to have. Just ask Dan Marino, uh, ask Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't always work that way. Um, you don't always make it back. And, you know, this might just be a one-time proposition. So um, now I don't think Burrow played uh, amazing in this game. I do want to just say he was sacked seven times, so I'm not trying to give him an excuse, but I do think that's a factor. But uh, he was 22 of 33 263 yards and a touchdown that one touchdown being the interference call that they missed with Higgins on that long touchdown but Burrow to me just looked not shook I don't think shook's the right word but it's the first time we felt Burrow could be cracked a little bit I know we said that he was unflappable and really just too cool for all the pressure I did feel like this time around it actually got to him a little bit now maybe Aaron Donald just has that impact on people and it's totally impossible um and then it came out that he did uh sprain his uh, MCL in this game and he played through it so uh the toughness level absolutely there for Mr. Burrow but I I don't know if I expected more from him but I walked away thinking like wow I I thought Burrow was gonna play better than that I, I thought Burrow was mostly composed under pressure for a large majority of the game um i i didn't feel like it got too big for him until you know towards the end where i felt like he started rushing some throws um i I felt he started feeling the sack coming before it was there and you know the one thing i'll say about burrow is you know the guy gets hit a lot and for all that he keeps his eyes downfield which is amazing for a young quarterback to do my issue with Burrow this game was not so much if, – if I had to give him a grade, I'd give him a B plus, you know, which isn't a bad grade for your first Super Bowl. But, you know, your internal clock's got to speed up. I, I know he likes getting hit. I know he's that physical type of quarterback. But these hits start taking its toll on your body. And, and you know, if the coach isn't going to call plays – you have to know a hot route, you know, like, okay, this defensive lineman is getting way too, getting to me way too fast. Let me call a hot route here. Let my wide receiver know, you know, it's coming in hot, you know, run shorter routes. You know, there had to be more slants. Sometimes, you know, I think Burrow is the type of guy and has that kind of gravitas to go to Zach Taylor and say, Hey, this is what we need to start doing out here. And if Zach Taylor is not doing that shame on Zach Taylor for not listening to a star stubby quarterback, but overall, I thought Burrow played fine. I, I think he played well enough to win. You know, he doesn't turn the ball over for the most part, which is all you know what you want to what you want out of your quarterback. Yeah. And really, the surprising thing is the Bengals didn't turn the ball over this game. You know, and the Rams did twice. 
Yeah, I guess that's a good transition to the other quarterback, Matt Stafford, who did throw two interceptions in this game. The first one in the end zone uh, targeting Jefferson towards the end of the half. And then the second one, I, I forgot who the, it went off the hands of. I think it was the other white guy, not Cup. Skoranek, uh, <laughs> or... I believe his name is. Um, but here's my thing about Stafford is I do think he came out and played really well at the beginning of this game. And clearly, 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 I cannot hammer this point alone. I can't hammer this point down enough. When Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt in this game, it changed everything for the Rams offense. And I'm not making that excuse. It just did. Um, Cup became the only threat to the, the Bengals defense. They, they couldn't run the ball at all. And uh, the Jefferson play, I mean, he did not even try to make a play on that ball in the end zone. And the very next play you see, or the second, the first play of the second half, you see T. Higgins literally grab Jalen Ramsey's face mask on a similar situation and take the ball to the house. So Van Jefferson, get up, bro. At least knock the ball down so it's not picked off. <laughs> uh, they really had an issue on his effort level on that one. But Stafford overall, I thought, played fine. Uh, he had that uh, unbelievable no-look pass to the cup uh, in the fourth quarter, which I thought was almost necessary to sort of um, – mislead the linebacker to get cup some space there um but stafford i feel like had a kind of game stafford always has where he didn't play a perfect game but ultimately made enough plays um he you know seems to make a lot he, there's not really a throw he could he can't make uh, i've always felt that way um and overall he, he the two mistakes he made didn't kill them in the end so this time around he got a little lucky i felt but overall there now there's this hall of fame conversation around matt stafford um i don't think his performance in this game necessarily uh puts him to the top of that pedestal but i think now given that his career is not over eventually he's going to find himself into that that space um but overall matt stafford in this game gets get, throws three touchdown passes and, and the two picks uh and, and wins the super bowl so what do you make of stafford's performance matt bushnell and, and i want you to weigh in on the on the hall of fame conversation with him absolutely the the, the first interception you know it kind of sucks it's, it's like a bad punt you know yeah. in reality it's third down you know, I think it was third and 12 or, you know, so it's something right before that, the half too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th those aren't the worst interceptions in the world. It kind of sucks. It goes on your stat sheet, but you know, it's, it's not a backbreaker. You'd elect for him to take something a little else, maybe get into field goal range there, but all in all, you know, I'm not going to kill him over that interception. The second interception is always kind of rough because the timing looks off. You got a new wide receiver. He probably hasn't really, um, targeted Skoranek that much and I'm sorry I just think of chronic every time I say Skoranek so <laughs> we're gonna talk about that in a second <laughs> <laughs> um but to me it's thrown a little bit behind them you know I know it's off the hands you got to catch us as a wide receiver to, to me Randy the biggest takeaway I took away from Stafford's play is I, I feel like this if the Chiefs run the ball in the second half against the Bengals the Chiefs are hoisting the Lombardi trophy again because, you know, every playoffs, I kind of feel like, did the best team really win the Super Bowl? I think last year, the Bucs, yeah. I, I mean, I could say the yeah. Bucs were the best team. The year before that, the Chiefs, absolutely, I think the Chiefs were the best team. I do not believe in my heart of hearts that the Rams were the best team. And largely, that comes on to my feelings about Matthew Stafford as a quarterback. I know a lot of people love Matthew Stafford. You know, they'll cite the Detroit years and Detroit is absolutely awful. And that's a valid point. But at some points we've seen really shitty teams being dragged up from the depths of hell by a really good quarterback. We saw what happened to the Colts when Peyton Manning got hurt. Like it was a complete dumpster fire. And to me, you know, that excuse only holds water for so long. Um, 
I, I give Stafford credit that he played well enough to win. All right. Uh, under the Hall of Fame stuff, since we're here knocking on the door, talking about his career. Right now, if Matthew Stafford were to retire today, I would not vote him into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Agreed. I think you look at a relatively younger-ish, middle-aged quarterback. Was he 32, 33? So it's not inconceivable that he plays another four or five years and you're probably looking at another, you know, 20,000 yards tacked on to his career passing, you know, or just another 16,000, which I, which I think elevates him somewhere in the class of 60,000 yards. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to get close if not over uh, 350 touchdown passes, if he's not already knocking on that door. So overall the counting stats are going to be there. But this is in reference to Richard Sherman's post about, you know, Matthew Stafford. He was never an all-decade player, never an all-pro, you know, never an MVP, all this stuff. And look, he played in an era against Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, and, you know, even, even Andrew Luck for a few seasons. But I will say, even if those, you know, you take away three of those guys. I'm just not sure if Stafford was ever the quarterback. I'm like, man, that guy's going to win me a championship. I always felt like he threw away games and I don't think he was ever deserving of an all pro team. I don't think he was ever deserving of an MVP vote, you know, for the best quarterback in the NFL. He's a really nice quarterback, a really good quarterback, but he's not great. And this is where my issue with the hall of fame comes in. Are we letting in really good players? Are we letting in really, you know, great players? So, well, the Hall of Fame made that decision a long time ago when they elected Joe Namath into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And they elected Ken Stabler into the Hall of Fame. Uh, They basically said if you're a quarterback and have great regular season statistics, you're going to make the Hall of Fame. So, to me, it's not a slight on Matt Stafford. It is an indictment on what the Hall of Fame has done. And this is why I say Eli Manning's going to be Hall of Famer because I'm not saying he's the first ballot or he even deserves it. But if certain guys are in the Hall of Fame, you set that sort of precedent that other guys can be inducted. And I think Stafford will. So, I'll just give you some of his career numbers here uh matt um career yardage he's you know just about to get fifty thousand career yards uh in in his career uh passing touchdowns he is at 323 right now so he's going to be over 400 uh when his career is all said and done i mean if he plays another you know seven years he might be pushing 500 it depends on if he plays well on all of those so to me on those numbers alone uh I mean, he, he's probably going to get it. He'll probably never get the MVP or all pro love, love. And honestly, he might not ever deserve that. And Eli Manning never did any of that either. Um, but sometimes if you, you win and you have all the regular season stats and the longevity in your career, it's enough to say you're in. Well, so. and you know, Randy, when, when we talk about this, my stance on the hall of fame is this, um, you know, you can vote in whoever you want to vote in, but how I would vote players into the hall of fame is, could you tell the history of yeah. this league without mentioning such and such player? Joe Namath, for all his warts, you, you have to put him in that conversation because he changed the course of the Super Bowl. You know, he doesn't make that famous prediction. Yeah. The Super Bowl is not as big as it was. Broadway Joe was the first kind of cross-stream star. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, he's the Hulk Hogan of the NFL. Interesting. Hulk, Hulk Hogan's, I, I don't think anybody would ever say Hogan's the best worker, 
or, you know, the best champion ever or whatever, any of those things. But he brought mainstream appeal to a sport, uh, to entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Brother. (laughs) (laughs) The Hulkster is going to come get me for this. But, you know, to to me, I I think Broadway Joe brought that to the NFL. I mean, the the NFL is a storied history, but let's keep in mind, baseball was always kind of the king with a lot of their, their personalities. Football is kind of like the Neanderthal sport. So Broadway Joe kind of brought the prettiness to the NFL. Yeah, and if you're by your logic, then Eli Manning absolutely is a Hall of Famer. Uh, yeah, because, I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I already told you. I know, I know, but I'm just saying there would be an undefeated. There would be one undefeated team that you know played eight, uh, 19 games in the history of the league, and there's not because of one guy because of the quarterback for another team. So uh, you're right. I mean, he's a part of the most famous family in the sports history too, which helps. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> that aspect too. Um, and it's your point about elevating a, a loser franchise to success. Look no further than what Joe Burrow has done with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, for staring us right in the face. I mean, I, I mean, maybe Stafford's career would be a little different if he could have helped even win one playoff game uh, with the Lions over the course of his career, and he could not do that. So um, to your, uh, good points. I, I, I originally probably thought before the game, I would have voted Stafford in. Maybe that assumption was like he won Super Bowl MVP and played lights out. Um, but hey, Phil Simms isn't in the Hall of Fame either, and he has a Super Bowl MVP and also played one of the best games a quarterback has ever played in the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's not guaranteed this is a, it's a thing. But I think Stafford's overall body of work uh, will get him in for that. But there is a one for sure Hall of Famer on the Rams, and his name is Aaron Donald. Uh, I'm happy for him getting the ring. Uh, he he is when you look at the arrows of football and try to pick out who the best players are. Those are the easy Hall of Famers. And for us covering this game, Aaron Donald is far and away uh, the best defensive player of this era. And I'm happy that he finally uh, got the thing he's been chasing uh, chasing so hard for. So. You know, and, and I know this is a little off topic, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of veering off the runway here. And I apologize for this, Randy. But it, it goes back to um, Hub Arcus from Chicago, who talked about Aaron Rodgers, who won the MVP this past season, yeah. um, as we all expected. But he brought up, like, this award, this MVP award is now just a quarterback award, Pretty much. which I couldn't agree more with. And it's it's making me think about this in retrospect. We talk about defensive players. We talk about, uh, you know, just players in general, offensive players. Do the Rams win the Super Bowl if you take Aaron Donald off this team and put on a comparable defensive tackle well i don't want to say a, a league average defensive tackle um i mean can can obj not tear his acl in this game because i might think they win anyway but um i mean probably not <laughs> yeah i, I mean it, it it makes a difference i i think you can put in a lesser quarterback than matthew stafford and still win this football game um you know i i, I know golf will get brought up and they lost to the patriots but that's kind of a different animal here um, these Bengals are not the New England Patriots, not even should be mentioned in the same breath as them. But it's it, I find it criminal that Aaron Donald is probably going to retire without winning a league MVP award. And that part really disturbs me. A, a guy like Khalil Mack, who won, you know, who was all pro at two different positions in the same year, didn't even yeah. get an MVP vote. It, to me, it just feels like we have solely taken the focus off of the team aspect of it and this is you know an indictment on the nfl right now it is a quarterback league and as long as yeah, the quarterback I mean, league, 
we know the importance of the quarterback and not to knock Aaron Donald, but he didn't win a Super Bowl until he got an above average quarterback on his team. Right. I mean, to, to counter that, I mean, Aaron Donald can't do it by himself. Uh, he can't. He, he, I mean, it's hard to win with Jared Goff in the league. And it's not even that Matt Stafford is a pro bowler or an all pro, but he is above average. I would say definitely a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And maybe that's all Aaron Donald ever needed. And and maybe he goes on and they win another one in a couple of years. I don't know, yeah. but uh, it just goes to show that the quarterback, not a lot of teams have ever won a Super Bowl with a bad quarterback. I mean, it's, it's not likely that that's the case and it's happened, but, and, but a lot of times that quarterback does play well. Um, but I mean, you look at the history of the league, most of the time they're, they're great quarterbacks that do this. So uh, not to slight Aaron Donald, I'd absolutely think he should have won MVP at least once, but the, the three time, the, the three time defensive player of the year uh, now ring speak for themselves on that. So to be honest with you, Matt, and we're going to wrap up the Super Bowl conversation here in a second. Uh, Stafford's worst throw of the day was the throw to Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> that, that to, in my opinion, that changed the whole outlook of the game because it's a shallow crossing route. He throws it very far behind Beckham and he's turning to catch it. And yeah. then you, you see him lift his leg and it popped and, uh, and the non-contact injury, you felt sick as soon as it happened. So I feel like now is the time that I need to gloat for a second, because let me tell you, let me just tell you what uh, we had our Super Bowl special. We make some predictions. Honestly, before this season, we made some predictions about certain things. We all have our guys. We all have people that we like and that we root for and we support. We have teams. We do the same thing. So let me paint a picture for you. About a year before we did this podcast, Matt Bushnell, about March 12th, <laughs> I was still my, my Giants pride wavered a little bit at this point for how they handled the Eli Manning situation, but it was still very much there. I just want to, you know, say at this point in time in my life, I worked three to noon in the morning. Let's just say I, I had to be at work at three o'clock in the morning. Every day I, will, I go to bed about six, seven o'clock. About eight o'clock on March 12th, the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. to the Cleveland Browns. And I was adamant for months. This was not going to happen because this idiot, Dave Gettleman, told me we didn't sign him to trade him. We didn't sign him to trade him. He's a part of our future. We didn't sign him to trade him. I bought in. I'm like, he's right. He's not going to trade him. That'd be stupid. He's the best player that they've had. He's the most exciting player they might have ever had. And he's the only best player they've had in the last five years, whatever. Anyway, they trade the guy. I promise you, I never woke up to more text messages, to more missed phone calls, to more Facebook notifications, people making fun of me, checking in to see if I died or see if a family met. They all act like I lost a pet. It was such a weird day for me. He goes, so they traded him to the Browns. And then there's a debate whether the Giants or Browns lost, uh, lost or won the trade. Let's just face it. Neither team won this trade. <laughs> neither team won the trade. Beckham gets out of Cleveland because Baker Mayfield can't throw him the ball. All of the Giants assets that they got from him are basically damaged goods besides Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, who's just whatever. Anyway, Beckham finally gets to the place where he always wanted to be, and that's Los Angeles. He is finally healthy. He gets to the point where he's playing with a good quarterback. And not only is he – he's not even the number one guy. He gets to play with Cooper Cup, who is very much uh, the number one guy but he gets to the point where he is making an impact and he is valuable for this team. And he is important to this team. And fast forward now to when we get to the Super Bowl pregame show, I predict because I, I watch the Rams. I know how they operate. I know how Odell is. I watched him play for seven years, by the way, unrelated Odell picked one pick before Aaron Donald in the 2014 NFL draft, by the way. Uh, and then, so I make a prediction, an innocent prediction that I, I bet, I bet actual American dollars that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to score the first touchdown of this football game. And I got mocked. 
by several people on our panel and in the comments section by a few people. And I'm not even going to say them by name, but they know who they are. I got mocked. I got called a homer. I got called a stupid Giants fan. I got called all of this. Enough. Not only did I win money, thank you, Mr. Odell Beckham Jr., I have never been more correct on a game, on a team, on a season in my entire life. I predicted the Rams versus the Chiefs before the season started. I got lucky that the Chiefs did not win the AFC because I probably would have predicted the Chiefs, <laughs> but <laughs> you got to get lucky sometimes. And I know Beckham got hurt, and it was such a bittersweet moment, but he had a clear, clear impact in the game. And Matt, I will even say this. If he doesn't get hurt, I don't think this game is particularly close. I think the Rams win by two touchdowns, maybe 10, to, 10 points to 14 points they win by. And I don't I, I think it's like a cute thing. The Bengals were in the game, but I think if he plays the whole entire game, he might have a case for Super Bowl MVP. And I don't even think this game is close. Now, I know he got hurt, and I can't say what ifs because that's not fair either. But to this day, I now declare, if the Giants aren't losers of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, Dave Gettleman personally is the loser of the Hotel Beckham Jr. trade. I hate this man. Beckham, I, I know the Giants were never in a situation to do what the Rams have done, but don't tell me that receivers aren't important. The clear importance of Beckham was right there for you on your screen during that Super Bowl, and his injury looms large. And I don't know what the future of his career is even now with a second ACL injury, but all I'm going to say is I've stood up here, defended Odell every step of the way, and I'm happy for my guy. So, Matt, uh, my rant's over. I don't care what you say right now. Just I need to take a second to take a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a drink there. Um, as far as the game goes, if Beckham doesn't get hurt, I don't know. You know, I, I think that's that, that could be going on. What ifs? Uh, the Rams won the game, so we don't have to question if the Rams would have won. Right. Um, my stance on it is I do not believe the Bengals get a lead if OBJ is healthy the entire game. Yeah. I, I just think they score enough points and, you know, that, that Higgins face mask is pretty much um, inconsequential to me. The more significant issue with Beckham right now is where is he at career wise? He's 29 years old. Tore his major ACL. injuries. Yeah. To, to the same knee. Well, he uh, broke his ankle and then tore his ACL twice. So. Yeah. So that has to make you wonder, is this the twilight of a, career that could have been um i i I think it's safe to say i don't think the rams would be here without obj and for anyone that would tell you otherwise i think it's just from the fact that they don't understand what he brought to the table Um, his speed which he still had it was on full display it wasn't what he once was but it was still very good and you still had to treat him as a threat he's one of the better high point catchers of the football he has fantastic hands. Uh, I don't think that could be underestimated. I mean, when we take a look at Cooper Cup and we take a look at OBJ, those ba- they're top five as far as hand catchers in the NFL. So that makes a difference. So he elevated the Rams when they needed it because Robert Woods is pretty damn good. Yeah, huge, huge loss for them too. Yeah. So I mean, it, it may have been a different. It may have been a different season if Robert Woods is healthy, and they yeah. also get OBJ. But they probably don't get OBJ with Robert Woods's injury. It happened on the same day, I think, or the next day. Woods got hurt yeah. after yeah. they signed Odell. So, yeah, and, and I think OJ's or OJ OBJ's had this stigma around him about him being a team killer or not a team player. Look. The issues in Cleveland are the quarterback position. I mean, that's the issue in Cleveland. It's not OBJ. Baker Mayfield doesn't process information fast enough. He's slow to read the defense. 
and he throws the ball way too late. He rarely throws it on time, and his arm is, I think, wildly overrated. Now we go take a look at he gets in the Ram situation. Stafford has experience with big-time wide receivers. OBJ doesn't have to be the focal point of the offense. He's got Van Jefferson, who's got a lot of speed, and then he's got Cooper Cup, who can you know destroy a defense um, when you find him in the right spots. And OBJ was able to help that offense and eventually become the number two wide receiver that they desperately needed to go on this run. 100% a perfect situation for him to succeed. And if he to a spot where he was the number one wide receiver, maybe it doesn't work out. And I'll say this, the quarterback was a major problem for the Giants when he was there too. Um, I love Eli Manning, but Odell was very much the reason why Eli Manning was able to play for as long as he was. And I almost got kicked out of a Giants group for saying this yesterday. Um, But look at Eli Manning's statistics in 2013 before Odell Beckham Jr. were drafted. He had 18 touchdowns and 27 interceptions. He was brutal that season. And I know Victor Cruz got hurt and I know the offensive line was bad, but the offensive line was still bad after that. And he put up much better numbers when OBJ was there. I'll never fully defend how Odell handled the Giants situation towards the end because I don't think he did handle it the best way possible. But this idea that he is responsible for the Giants failures for the last decade and that he was all the reason why the Browns offense sucked, I'm not here for it. The guy has always been a a player that helps the team win. Uh, Yeah, he wants the ball. He's competitive. Like that's the way he is. That's what every Diva wide receiver is like. Ultimately, they're selfish. They want the ball, but they ultimately think that they're the best player on the team and they can make plays. So I don't fault him for, for being competitive. So I'm happy for him. Uh, and, and honestly, his three injuries, just for the record, all were based on quarterback mistakes. Uh, Eli Manning overthrew him on a slant where he had to jump four feet in the air to try to catch. He landed, shattered his ankle. Uh, the torn ACL, Baker Mayfield threw an interception. Odell had to stop to try to make a tackle. Knee blew out. And this time around, Stafford threw behind him. And once again, his knee blew out. So uh, really bad luck. Obviously, when you're you probably got the stigma of being injury prone at this point, but uh, if, if Odell were to retire today, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame or anything. But nonetheless, uh, I'm a huge fan. I always have been, and I'm, I'm thrilled for the guy. Uh, and clearly made an impact on the Rams. And I think he should sign back with them. I think it's the ideal situation for him to succeed. But if he can get paid, I would probably advise him to do that too because I don't know what the likelihood of that is in the future. He ain't getting paid. It's one-year deals from here on out for him. Probably. Yeah. I think he likes it there. I think he, he's happy with playing in this team in this situation. So I think he should stay. be a really good number three. <laughs> if he can get healthy again absolutely um all right that's my obj rant and everyone kind of i figured everyone uh, thought it was coming but uh, at some point matt when when you've been right about something you gotta let it off your chest <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad it finally came into fruition okay we're gonna talk nfl honors but henry brought up something i didn't even put in the rundown but i feel like we should touch on it the halftime show, which we talked a lot about in the, uh, the Super Bowl special. Um, look, I loved the way Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg kicked it off with Still Dre. Uh, I love that the that Dr. Dre truly was like the focal point of the whole thing. It really was very California. Um, I, the, the couple, the beats, the songs, all. I mean, the the, the Fifty Cent surprise. Um, I thought Kendrick was unbelievable uh, in this too. I mean, really, all of them did well. I, I expected more out of Eminem, but I feel like he was like, I'll take a step back. Uh, I feel like he really tried to give everyone else more shine. And uh, I, I don't know if that was his decision, but maybe inadvertently he got more shine 
himself when he took a knee <laughs> when he was told not to do that. Um, but look, I, I think we all talked about how we grew up with a lot of this music and uh, I was happy to see it come back. And I like the way that they started it with still Dre and ended with uh, the next episode. So they really tied in that whole generation of music and all really tied into to Dr. Dre. So Matt, what did you make of the, uh, the halftime show here? I thought it was carefully crafted. Yeah. Um, to me, it felt like everyone with well even Kendrick Lamar I mean Kendrick Lamar came out dropped some f-bombs and he kind of <laughs> reeled it back in a little bit but it felt to me that all the performers knew the gravity of the situation like they had to lay a foundation so other performers of this genre of music could perform and I, I love the show um, when Dre started playing I Ain't Mad At You on the keyboard I dang near lost my mind. And then they went into the next song, which I was disappointed in because I would have, I would have popped more than CM. You knew he was going to transition into it though. You knew he was going to. Yeah, man. But overall, I, I love the show. I thought Mary J. Blige killed it. I thought, you know, Dre and Snoop just absolutely hit it out of the park. When they played California Love, it was perfect. Um, yeah. I, I thought that was really well done. I knew they were never going to do a Tupac hologram. Um, I, I thought the voiceover, you know, adding his lyrics in there would have helped. Um, but I understand why they didn't. That's fine. You know, T Tupac is a very polarizing figure and yeah. um, has a very checkered past, I would say. If you don't know all of it, if you just look at it on the surface, um, it feels like white America kind of has branded Tupac as the spokesperson of the thugs. So I, I, I get why that would be on there. To me, overall, I thought Eminem was the weakest performer on the stage. Um, granted, he didn't get a lot of airtime, but I understand why. So I'm not going to kill anybody over it. But I mean, bravo for one of the best halftime shows in the history of the Super Bowl. I will say this, though. Um, for the first time in a long time, I got thinking about this, Randy. The best halftime show ever, and I'm just going ambiance here, was Prince in Miami. Because yeah. when he's singing Purple Rain and it's it raining. starts raining, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I can't see an act doing that because it's like he summoned the fucking rain. It was like, all right, time to rain now. Come on, weather. Like, it, it was incredible. Yeah. This is up there, though. This is in the conversation. I loved it. it. It hit all the right chords with me. You know, brought up a lot of my teenage years. Um, you know, I think uh, Eminem's third album actually came out when I was graduated high school. So go. it makes me feel kind of old, but I loved it. I loved it. It was definitely for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved it, but I think now we just live in this world of hyperbole where everything that just happened is the greatest thing to have ever happened. And I, I don't like this game wasn't the greatest game ever. And I mean, I love the halftime show. And I think what you said is important that it's one of the best and it could be your favorite. I don't necessarily think it makes it the best halftime show ever. Like, to me, I think they really tried to PG themselves for obvious reasons, yeah. and, and that maybe took away from it a little bit for me. And I thought Eminem might have had some pre-recorded stuff in there, which I didn't <laughs> like either. I, I would have liked to see him actually do some rapping, and that's why I thought Kendrick was so good. I actually felt like he was actually yeah. rapping himself, and I, I thought that added a ton. Um, and people making fun of 50 Cent, like he got fat. Like, <laughs> I wish I would look like that at 46. Like, if that's fat, then I'm screwed. Like, <laughs> he looked good to me. I don't know. Uh, but to me, I, I, I think of like the Michael Jack 
quarterbacks and uh, uh, the halftime show. I mean, that's really what kind of set the standard for a lot of these things back in the day. Uh, and Beyonce paid homage to him uh, with her halftime show, which I think was less than two years after he died by wearing a similar outfit. I mean, Beyonce's was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, it was 10 years ago now, but hers was so good. And really, they've had a good stretch because I really think Bruno Mars did a great job with his Lady Gaga really did it. I, I mean, she, she really puts on a great show. I've heard in general, yeah. uh, I thought Katy Perry's is entertaining, maybe not the same level, but I nonetheless still pretty entertaining. Uh, nice to look at nothing else, nothing else, <laughs> but um, I mean, they, they, they have, they've had some good ones and this is up there for us. And I think this is our, our style of music too. I, mean, I don't really, I feel like I listen to a lot of stuff and my music taste is versatile, but I mean, when I was growing up, it was a lot of rap and hip hop. And, and this yeah. is really for the culture and the history. And I hope Dre and, and I mean, people, if you don't know who Dr. Dre is and have the importance he has on, on rap music, you really got to look into it because it, it, this could really open the door for a ton of performers in the future uh, for this. So um, one of my favorite ones by far, but is it the greatest one ever? I, I don't know, but definitely one of my favorite ones ever. And that's probably yeah. just because of my music taste. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is definitely my personal favorite. Like it, it hit everything for me, but m- my best, my top one is Prince. Yeah, and it's hard to t- it's hard to even argue because of the, the aesthetics <laughs> and um, I mean he was just magic and he he sounded incredible too. And and, and partially the- I have biases towards uh, Tom Petty because he did Super Bowl forty two and the Giants won Super Bowl forty two. So me and my cousin are singing Free Fall in the living room like it was the best day of our lives. So <laughs> I mean was it the best one ever? No, but it has sentimental value. So I feel like people have to separate those two things. So we do live in this world of hyperbole often with sports, especially. Yeah. So, all right, Matt, before we say goodbye, NFL honors time. So last Thursday, I mean, right after we left our Super Bowl special, they are handing out the hardware for uh, the game's best. So I'll give you a go down the line. I'll get your thoughts on some of these. Uh, no surprise, but Aaron Rodgers winning his fourth MVP award. So, I mean, his legacy is solidified. I don't think it changes much, but I'll have a thought on that in a second. T.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year, ties the sack record. Uh, I think that was well-deserved. I mean, we just sang Aaron Donald's praises, but T.J. Watt is absolutely that guy. Uh, Cooper Cup, Offensive Player of the Year, no surprise there. He's not going to win MVP, but I think that's a worthy consolation prize. Uh, Joe Burrow, Comeback Player of the Year. My biggest exception on this list is this award right here, and I will explain. Uh, Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year. I think we both saw that one coming. Jamar Chase, neither of the rookie awards are are, are that surprising. And Micah Parsons, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Rogers, from a statistical standpoint, Matt Bushnell, I just want to say, reminds me of one of the Peyton Manning MVPs where he wasn't the strongest candidate, statistically speaking. I mean, Rogers only threw for 4,100 yards, 37 touchdowns, and seven, uh, seven interceptions. I think the, the seven interceptions is truly what, what got him the award and, and how bad the Packers looked without him uh, in that one game. Peyton Manning had a year where he only threw like 33 touchdowns and he had like 17 picks and he still won MVP. Um, back then, I don't think the quarterback statistics were season long were as great as they are now. It wasn't quite the same passing league, so it's hard to compare. But I just want to say, Joe Burrow, winning comeback player of the year, I have a huge exception with because let me just lay out the number for you he played 10 games last year so that means he missed six to me that's not enough games but i digress this year he completed 70 percent of his passes threw for 4600 yards uh threw for 34 touchdowns and only and 14 interceptions now let me go to dak prescott because this is the guy i thought should have won comeback player of the year dak prescott uh only played five games last year so he missed 11 uh and then this year he played all 16 games completed 69 percent of his passes threw for 50 yards short of 4500 threw 37 touchdowns and 10 picks so 
I would say similar statistics to Joe Burrow and more touchdowns and less turnovers. So why did Dak Prescott not win? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they both were the four seed in their, uh, their conference. So not sure. And it's supposed to be a regular season award. Obviously they vote when the playoffs are happening. So I feel like that influenced Joe Burrow's decision there. And now I'll do this for Henry because he was pounding the table for Nick Bosa. <laughs> oh, constantly. We talked about comeback player of the year. Nick Bosa played two games last year, blew his knee out, missed uh, the 14 games after that. And this year he comes back, plays, plays every game and has 15 and a half sacks and forces four fumbles. I mean, I think both of those guys were warranted over Joe Burrow and Nick Bosa didn't even get a single vote. And the only other person to get a vote besides Burrow and Prescott was Derwin James, the safety of the Chargers. So my biggest exception is Joe Burrow and I like Joe Burrow but I do not think he had the strongest case for that award my biggest issue is the type of injuries that were suffered here yeah ACL injuries pretty common now like yeah. that that's pretty much down to a science Dak Prescott's freaking foot was pointing in the absolute wrong direction yeah, I remember <laughs> like it, it was hideous yeah. I think we were chatting during that game in our group yeah. chat and it was like, Oh my God, did you get, and then like we were telling, don't post any pictures, don't post any pictures. And it was absolutely hideous. The only thing I seen like it was Robin Ventura, I believe in 96 or 95 with the white Sox, And it was, that was equally horrendous. Um, Dak had much more to overcome yeah. than what Joe Burrow and Bosa did. And I'll throw another name out here who I felt like could have gotten a vote here. And that's Robert Quinn because yeah. Robert Quinn last year had, I think two and a half sacks. He played in a lot of games, but just largely ineffective. So are we now labeling the comeback award as something where you have to come back from an injury or yeah. just poor performance? Because Robert Quinn's been a sack maestro for a long time now. And yeah. for him to have a season like that was kind of unexpected. And he was dealing with some injuries, but, you know, you never heard about it, but I'm with you. I, I, I give this to Dak Prescott for the nature of the injury, the rehab, and he still wasn't 100% on opening day. He didn't play in the preseason. Nope. ACL is like a nine-month injury. This ankle injury that he suffered was like 12 to 15 months before he'd be fully recovered. Yep. So to me, I'm, I'm with you. I give it to Dak. And then I, I have one big issue, Randy, with the Hall of Fame voting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't touch on that. Do you want me to go down the list? Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead real quick because I got some shit to say about that. Let me uh, pull it up for you really quick because my I'll have to do it uh, on my phone. Yeah, I, I mean, I know Tony Baselli got in. I was a Tony Baselli fan, but the, the this guy that didn't get in and Tony Baselli gets in, it, it really pisses me so off. So the, cl the class of 2022 is Tony Baselli, Leroy Butler, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Bryant Young, who you mentioned earlier, Cliff Branch, Art McNally, and Dick Vermeil. Devin Hester was on this ballot. Mm -hmm. How can you be the greatest at your position all time? The greatest. And I, I've never heard anyone dispute that Devin Hester is the greatest return man of all time. And he has to wait a year? Like, I... I I get it. Sometimes, you know, these things take time. Wide receivers, it's a long line. But you don't think that Tom Brady's going to get in on the first vote? And, I mean, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not comparing Hester to Brady, but I think if you're widely – it's you can't argue that you're the best at this position and you don't get in, 
on your first try, there's something wrong with that voting process. You know, it's like Mario and Rivera. He's a specialist. He's a closer. Did he not deserve to get in the first ballot? Hell no, he deserved to get in the first ballot. He was the greatest that ever did it in his spot. I mean, he's the only unanimous Hall of Famer in baseball history, through the record. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just I don't understand it. Special teams was a huge part of the game. Devin Hester changed games. He beat the Rams single-handedly when he returned two kicks in one game for touchdowns. The Arizona Cardinals, if you want to crown their ass, then crown their ass. He returned a punt for a touchdown. In the Super Bowl, they tried kicking the damn ball out of bounds. They'd rather the Bears start at the 40-yard line than let Devin Hester return it in the biggest game of the damn season. And he still, and he still got it. <laughs> like, this is just I, – I, I try not to overreact to awards and stuff like this, but this just really pisses me off. And even if he wasn't a Bear – you can't sit there and objectively say that the greatest at this position that changed how this is done is not a Hall of Famer. It just it, it, it pisses me off to no end. I would have to look it up about special teamers in particular. Uh, I know Ray Guy waited forever to yeah. get into oh. the Hall of Fame, and he is considered to be the best punter ever, right? I mean, I, I don't know if those things are related, really, but I, that would be probably the precedent I look at. Um, but I don't think Hester should have to wait 40 years like Ray Guy had no. to wait. Um, at kickers, I have to look at who's on the list for the Hall of Fame kickers as well, um, because I feel like field goal kickers, especially, they have sort of a legacy attached to them based on how many big kicks they make, longevity of their careers. Like, I mean, Vinatieri is a Hall of Famer 100%, but is he going to be a first ballot? I feel like they've kind of set themselves up to vote him no on the first ballot. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's not getting it on the first ballot. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can do that if you're already saying, like, it doesn't matter how good, if you're the greatest at your position at special teams, you're your special team. So maybe less about Hester and more about the overall, you know, yeah. process itself. And, and, and that's my issue. I, I think if you're the greatest at your position, whether it be kicker, punter, kick return, quarterback, safety, yeah. if you're widely considered the greatest ever at that position, you deserve to get in on the first try. Yeah, I mean, it's not the strongest class ever, ever either. So it's not like he would be really overshadowed. I mean, I, I only, uh, it's, it's, it is kind of a weak class to me. Uh, Tony Baselli. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched Tony play really good left tackle, but he didn't play a long time. He was injury prone. Yeah. And I mean, Bryant Young, God bless him. You know, I, I watched him. Leroy Butler does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame over Devin Hester. I'm sorry. I saw plenty of Leroy Butler tape. And for him to be a Hall of Famer, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but I can make a case of Hester over all these guys. Yeah, Baselli is interesting because he <laughs> he was a, a Pro Bowler five times and first team All-Pro three times. He played 91 games in seven seasons. I mean, that's that's your Hall of Famer right there. I feel like just seven seasons alone is not enough. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't Terrell Davis-esque, you know, where Terrell Davis played, what, six seasons? Yeah. But, I mean, those six seasons were a lightning bolt. So I mean, to me, I, I don't have a problem with Richard Seymour making it. I, I feel no. like that's deserved, but I don't know. I, it's, I mean, Dick Vermeil probably deserved too, in a, in a sense. But I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, it's frustrating because a lot of these guys you're going to see, you know, if, if Brady remains retired, which I think remains to be seen, but would they go as far as to say, hey, Big Ben, you're not going to get in first ballot because we already have a quarterback on the ballot this year. <laughs> so, I mean, these voters are so inconsistent. Like I could see like something like that happening. Yeah. I mean, it took Chris Carter, I think four years to get in. Michael Irvin waited his time. It took Terrell. Terrell Owens. Owens waited three years. Yeah. And like, 
uh, Randy Moss. I don't think he got on the first ballot. I don't remember. I feel like he did, but yeah, I, he I might keep better it's just, uh, it's, it's a joke. It, it is, it is, it is a joke. Now I have a trivia question for you before we say goodbye. And I learned this on another podcast, but if I said, guess how many hall of fame quarterbacks there are in the NFL, how many do you think there are? 35. It's in the ballpark. There's 27 or 26. Okay. Yeah. I mean, who I know Sid Luckman's in there. Bears and <laughs> Chicago <is>. Bears. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go through some of them, I, th- which makes Ken Stabler's inauguration a little more interesting. But I, I guess my view on it is, like, quarterbacks weren't the position that it is now. All right. There's going to be a lot more in there over the next 20 years, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I, I guarantee you, running backs, it's going to be hard to elect a running back to the Hall of Fame after this next round of Hall of Fame-eligible running backs get in. Like, Ad- Adrian Peterson might be the last one in a, in a long time. I mean, maybe Frank Gore? Uh Maybe. maybe, maybe after but, that, uh, maybe yeah. Derrick Henry. Hey, man, maybe Derrick Henry gets there. But that's, uh, I mean, it, it it's oof, it ain't looking good after that. It's not going to be a, a you know proclaimed gold jacket guy Saquon Barkley is certainly not. Gonna <laughs> oh be. no, he ain't getting in. <laughs> no, that's over with already. Dave Gellman, what an idiot. All right. Uh, well, Matt, this has just been the longest, ex- most exhausting, uh, just marathon of a season ever here in the NFL. So uh, we are going to take some time off uh, after the show, and uh, we're going to take some time to thank the audience here. Uh, am I still connected? It's still saying I'm not connected on my computer. Right yeah, yeah, I see you. You're here. Okay. I, I'm going to keep talking then until uh, I, I realize I'm kicked out. Uh, but just because we're not here for the next couple of weeks doesn't mean there aren't other shows for people to go enjoy, right? I mean, we might not have baseball. We're still up in the air, but we still have shows that might talk about baseball. So, man, why don't you just give them a brief rundown on where they can find other life group content? Yeah, so let's go with Dong City with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. Really good stuff, boys. They went last week, I believe, and did a really nice show. Um, but baseball's hard right now. Yeah, there doesn't seem a lot of traction, a lot of action. And then our other baseball podcast on Sundays with um, Felipe Melicio, Austin Spiro, and uh, I saw Sean Connor Flannery join them this past weekend. So that may be a more consistent thing. I'm not sure, but the total basis podcast for your fantasy fix. And I got to be honest. I don't know if there's fantasy baseball this year. I don't know if there's baseball this year. It's not looking good after a 15 minute meeting today. And then we jump over to our basketball life brethren, Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses with the step back podcast and basketball life. Jacob promised some gun smoke from some, uh, for some bulls fans. So Jacob's Nick fandom is in a lot of pain right now. So I'm sure he's going to be talking about the Knicks. Anthony Davis suffered a very gruesome injury last night. So that one is not looking good for the Lakers, but tune into those guys Monday nights um, at 8 PM Eastern, I believe. It's getting interesting in the NBA, getting real interesting over there in the National Basketball Association. And there's a bull that's hot right now. I'm watching that streak from DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Uh, 
doing some special things, but we got to focus on some other sports because, you know, the NFL, it's the low period for them. Uh, but have no fear. Free agency is going to start here in a few weeks. We will be back for that. And then it is time to start talking draft, Matt Bushnell, because we will be in Las Vegas for the draft this year. Very much excited for that. If you were going to be in Vegas, uh, be sure to hit us up and we can get to do a little uh, loot life group meet and greet. Uh, really looking forward to that in April. So, um, Matt, I don't know what's next for you, but I'm going to sit here and kind of lay low and relax and uh, prepare for this wedding I got coming up. And uh, I hope you enjoy some time off with you and the family. Yep. I, I'm going to take this time and reflect on all the things that I, the kiss of death, I gave all these teams in the playoffs, <laughs> figure out where I went wrong, study tape of shows where I may have been misguided on some predictions. I'm going to study the tape, Randy. I'm going to study the tape, and I'll come back better than ever. But there's a lot no of tape doubt. watching that's going to happen. No doubt you're going to study the tape, my friend. I have no doubt about that. That's what you do best. So uh, I just want to say thank you to the viewers, uh, whether you, you watch us on Facebook Live and interact with us on all the shows. Um, that is so crucial and important to what we do. Uh, if you watch us on YouTube and some reason you like our faces, <laughs> thank you for that as well. Uh, I decorate the wall behind me to hope to impress somebody, so I hope somebody enjoys it. Uh, <laughs> and then I... Uh, you know, I, anyone who just listens to the audio only platforms and my nasally voice halfway through every show and my nose gets randomly clogged up for some dumb reason and I sound worse, uh, you know, you're really braving the elements more than any of us. So uh, when it gets hectic towards the end here, you are truly the heroes. Um, so I just have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for all the support. And, and the NFL keeps extending these weeks. So these shows <laughs> keep going on and on and on. And it seems like it's never ending. So um, I think Matt, more than anyone, is worthy of a vacation here. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to give you the floor. Do you have any season parting words for the audience before we shift gears for 2022? You know, all in all, I think we can look back at all our teams and really say they provided us a glimpse of hope unless you're a um, Jacksonville Jaguar fan, where it's just like a black hole of death. But, uh, you know, fun season. I got to thank the audience for the guys tuning in. Um, You know, I can't say enough from the people that jumped on to help guests, you know, be our guests. Um, You know, we always look for good people to jump on and share some words of wisdom with us. But overall, you know, the amount of time it takes to tune in and that you listen to our nonsense sometimes. Listen to me carry on about a bunch of gibberish sometimes, it feels like. <laughs> Thank you guys the most. Uh, you know, I, I, I can be a hot take machine and I'm not one too shy away from that. But you guys have made it so much fun. And I just got to let the fans know that you guys see a lot of the show. But really behind the scenes, Randy, you have done so much. And I think it largely goes unappreciated sometimes. But I just always have to say thank you. Your rundowns, your preparation, how you want to go with the show, your thoughtfulness that goes into it it is really the driving force of this show. And that's what makes this show, in my opinion, of such high quality. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's easy when you have a great co-host who you can just toss random topics to and you'll have a take on anything. So uh, if you didn't talk, uh, it would be much harder for me to do the show on my own. So thank you for empowering me to make these rundowns and make me creative with this. And you handle the technical side. So it's not just me. You're the one uploading the shows. So uh, that That's is right. all effort on your side. So um, I, I, I know I wish I could go down the line and thank everybody personally from Henry to Vince, Leon, Jacob, uh, Corey. Um, shout out to Lucas. I know he's going through 
through some stuff. I hope, you know, our thoughts yeah. and prayers are with him. I know it can't, I, if you know, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but you know, uh, keep your thoughts and prayers with Lucas, man. He's going through quite a bit right now. So um, all of you who have supported us and been on the show, we greatly appreciate all you do with us and for us. Um, you truly mean the world to us. And, and honestly, I love football and you all make me love football even more and make me look forward to my, my Tuesdays and my Thursdays, Matt, and you especially um, keep me on my toes. You, you educate me, you, you keep me in line you tell me when I'm being a shill and tell me when I'm being fair or not fair. So it's truly fun to troll back and forth with you, but honestly, I respect you as a guy and I'm happy to do this with each and every week. Well, thank you, Randy. And for those who paid attention, you know, we're going to get to number 100 here pretty quick. And I think that's the end of the number game. Yeah. Well, we're going to figure out what the hell to do with that. Referees. The referees are in the hundred. Oh, <laughs> that's where I'm out. Uh, that's where I'm totally out of there. Oh man, maybe we'll just do uh, trivia based on those numbers or something. Have to yeah. something Who knows? And stay tuned for stuff for football life. I got ideas for that too. So uh, keep the off season fun as well. So, all right. Thank you again. Longest season ever. Uh, craziest outcomes ever. It's truly the greatest sport in the world. Absolutely love talking about it with all of you. So on behalf of Matt Bushnell, I'm Randy Hammond saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful season. And we'll see you guys in a few weeks.